Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So last week, Mike Stauffer delivered a message that rose from an evangelist's heart. And it was a challenging message. I listened to it online because I was preaching in another church last week. And, but it was born of love. And it was challenging, and I appreciated it. It was that kind of a message, a bit distressed that the church was moving away from some key truths that need to be, to be absolutely foundational in who we are and where we're going. I'm one of those, now, I want to bring a message this morning that's born of a little distress as well, but it's different, okay? Well, last week, Mike was talking about judgment and heaven and hell and things like those heavy things. I'm one of those people who kind of hope that when Jesus returns, and he will, divine judgment is going to be on a bell curve, okay? <laughs> but, uh, see, a bell curve got me through some really tough times at university. I, you know, like, I, I got to see in trigonometry, I'll take it, you know? It was one of those things. For those of you who don't know, bell curves, say, uh, bell curves are when everyone is graded relative to everyone else. Problem is, at final judgment, we're all going to get graded relative to Jesus himself. Okay, that's pretty tough. Ain't no bell curve for that. So I paid attention to Mike's message, and I appreciated it. But you know, for me, my distress is a little different. I'm distressed more for those whose names are already written in the book of life. That's you and me. Yeah. And although our names are written in the book of life, and although we call ourselves Christians... And although we name the name of Jesus, and we do believe, and we are going to heaven and all of that, but we live otherwise. We give ourselves permission to live otherwise. You notice I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, because it's a pitfall. It's a pitfall of life. And so uh, I want to go after that, but I want to go at it. Look, I'm not going to get all legalistic on you. That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is explore the most important spiritual gift and fruit in the scripture that's ignored by most of us. And sometimes it it just seems to be disappearing. It's like it's it's extinct. Yikes. I'm talking about love. Uh, More specifically, love for one another. And see, lovelessness trumps all the other sins. It's why this message is called the strategic scope of love. The the reach of of the way we love and the measure of love for us as believers is woven into what we think and what we do. It defines the worth of it. And this isn't my opinion. This isn't philosophical. This is the whole theme of the New Testament. More than ever during these past years, I've seen the church, I've seen the church act in a a thoroughly unbiblical disconnect between the love of God on one hand, yeah, we, we, I mean, oh, I love God, and then the love of one another on the other hand. And not too distant past, I was with a brother who, who was divorcing his wife, and I, th- I believed it was an unbiblical divorce, and he, he was actually, he was in adultery. But he, he didn't admit it at that point because that kind of truth always comes out in installments, Okay. And so, so I was challenging him, and I said, what about your relationship with the Lord? And he said, oh, my relationship with God is fine. Yeah? 
And there's a, there's this secretive kind of thing we tell ourselves all the time when we want to get out of jail free that we could be, if we continue in this particular behavior, thought, attitude, but my prayer life is fine. My and you know, see that's what's called deception. Are you there? And so so I want to kind of get at that this morning. This disconnect. I, I, I want to say that. As it goes in our culture, so it even goes in the church these days, yeah? And, and so, in, in a certain sense, Mike's message last week about loving God so much that we want to see our brothers and sisters and family members and everybody else saved, Mike's message, and what I have to say today, isn't discontinuous. His message was concerned with how very deeply the Father and the Son love us, uh, it looks to understand that love. It's one of the reasons that, in, that at NC4, Pastor Ian is going to lead us into a series at the, end of, at the end of the month, maybe beginning in February, a Lenten series on, on uh, the sanctity of marriage and family and relationship, which is something we haven't talked about a whole, in a, a long time. I've said this before, but it bears saying again, with all of the palaver and the venom and the nonsense that came up bubbled up, percolated up over the course of the elections and the pandemic and all those kinds of things. I saw things that I didn't think I would see in the church. Not just this church. I get around to other churches. The, the, the constancy of, of the testimony of most pastors is the same wherever you go. And, and I've said this before, but it just bears saying again and again and again. The lovelessness that I saw wasn't something that the pandemic and the election and the politics caused. It was there before that. It just came to the top. It's called winnowing. We went, the, church, the church in the West went through a deep winnowing consequent to what went on. But, you know, good news for you. A winnowing separates the chaff from the wheat. And everybody I see before me is wheat. How about that? Hallelujah. That's like worth, that's like worth glory, glorifying God for. Okay, where are we here? So th- th- this message that Mike had last week and the message that he and I have this week, they're not discontinuous. Here's where last week's message and this week's message come together. And this is going to be on the overhead. These are the words of the Apostle John, and they're important enough to see them emblazoned on an overhead. John says this in 1 John 4, beginning in verse 19. We love God because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother or sister, he or she is a liar. Wow. I mean, it's pretty plain, right? This is because whoever does not love his brother or sister, who they have seen, cannot love God, who they have not seen. Huh? Now, I'm sorry that John uses, or the, the, the translators use that English word, hate, because it, it's, the, the Greek word there doesn't mean hate like in want to murder or want it, it to, really it really has to do with lovelessness, where you're emptied of love for anybody else. I was talking with someone one time, and, and I knew that this person had something deeply in their craw for somebody else. Not that any of you would ever do that, but, you know, anyway... So, so I, like, I knew that this, that this person had something right up their nose toward this other person. 
And so I said, because I wanted to poke, I wanted to poke the bear. Have you ever wanted to poke the bear? I wanted to poke the bear. So I said, well, don't you, you know, don't you love him? Don't you think Jesus loves him? And I could see the consternation rising up. And, and so this person said, well, I love him in the Lord, <laughs> which is like get out of jail free, right? <laughs> and so, and we do this kind of stuff. We do this kind of stuff. Okay. We all know or should know that there is an essential confusion between what our culture calls love and what the scriptures call love, yeah? It it stems, as many of you know, from the fact that the English language has one word for love and the Greek word has, I mean, the Greek language has four words for love, all of which are used in the New Testament. So typically preachers, when we're in this position, we parade out all the five words, four words for love, in Greek and all, you know, agape, filio, you know that. Most of you have heard stuff on that. But, but you know, we have, so, okay, so agape is the primary word for the love of God in the New Testament. You know, I'm not going to get into the other words. I don't want to parade those words out. But we, but for 50 years, we have agape churches, agape ministries, agape pizza parlors, agape real estate practices. We've got agape this and agape that. But things haven't gotten much better. Okay, so that leads me to believe that our problem isn't linguistic. (laughs) You know, I don't want to pull out all those words and parse them and all that kind of stuff. Net increase of love in the church doesn't seem to have been affected by naming ministries and so forth. Now, if you belong to an agape ministry or church, you know, that's okay. It's a good word, but I won't go any further. All right. The concept of what love is in our culture, in our world... And all the, the, all the advertisements that are going to go on during the playoffs, right? That, that concept of love is, is the world's concept. It's seductive, and it's extremely different from what Jesus and the New, New Testament writers understand as this thing called love. And really, it's kind of different than what we understand as love. Now, there are reasons for that, but... How many of you know our culture leaks into the church at every level? Yeah, we send our kids to school, stuff leaks into the family. You know, we go out into the workplace, stuff leaks into our hearts, you know. We watch TV, stuff leaks into the church. And, and, and so I'm going to go so far as to say that our idea of love that we gather from our culture, that, that kind of love is geared to alleviate us from the responsibility to really love, which is dangerous. So I'll explain. The quality of our relationships, especially those relationships that matter, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our parents, our relationship to authority structures really matters, and it should be sourcing itself in love for God. But if we, if we really disdain those things at some level, and then we say we love God, we're kind of cutting ourselves off from the source, and we're lying to her. Trish noted that she saw a young Christian gal post on Facebook that her goal for 2023 is self-love. Wow. Now, I don't want to unpack that. I think I understand the sentiment that she's going after there. But wow, is that an indication of kind of where our culture's at? And, and so 
So how about, I wonder how many have had our goal for 2023, self-denial. <laughs> well, except for those who are going on that annual diet that never works for me, you know. Uh, <laughs> right? And it's interesting, I was thinking about that because self-denial is something that's a portion of love. You know the whole thing in John 23 where Peter sees Jesus after he denied him three times before the crucifixion and Jesus goes to Peter and says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Three times, right? You know, I was thinking about that. Three, he had to say I love you three times and really not overstate himself as he did for his entire ministry. And, and, then, and then when I was thinking, look, when, when Jesus denied, you say, I'm thinking of self-denial. Follow me here. Track with me because I'm not tracking with myself well. So track with me here. Peter denied Jesus three times. And what that looked like was he said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. But then Peter had to come back and say, you know I love you. You know I love you. I know I love you. Which indicates to me that Peter had to now say, I said I don't know you, but now I'm saying I don't know me. I don't know me. I don't know me. I'm denying who I thought I was. I'm denying who I understood my identity to be. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I love you. Take me where you want me to go. And then, of course, Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Do you follow me with that? It's, kind of, it's, it's a fascinating kind of conversion. Now, the, the confusion with regard to the nature of this word love or agape that we use all the time is, makes me shy about reading the 13th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church at weddings. And all of you have heard that read at Christian weddings. Some of you had it read at your Christian wedding. And I kind of, part of me, what have I done? I've done, what, 250 or so weddings, maybe 300 over the course of 40-some years. And that love chapter is there. It's a brilliant chapter, but I kind of go, mm, do we really know what that's all about, right? It's read in lots of weddings, and I, I think it's just misunderstood. So this morning, I want to take one of the key passages in the New Testament and rip it, rip it right out of a wedding liturgy, because Paul didn't write it for a wedding. He wrote it for this morning. He wrote it for this year. He wrote it for all the churches to exercise over the course of their histories till the coming of our Lord Jesus. So I want to read it. Well, I, one of the reasons that, that I think it works well at weddings is because it's an idealistic time. There's the flush of romance. There's the, the, the new couple, you know. They haven't punched each other in the nose enough yet and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and all that's going on. And, and so you, you, it's kind of what, what I use the word is hyperbolic. Hyperbole means exaggeration for the sake of effect. And I think we think Paul is exaggerating for the sake of effect because it's far too idealistic for anything for any of us to live up to, right? Let's read it. Let's read it. So Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I 
have all faith, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, is it doozy? I am nothing. Wow. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Can I point out that we have six mentions of the word have in these verses and what we have not? And I call this the hierarchy of haves. If you've got to have something, if you've got to have something above everything else, if you've got to have something even above winning that lottery in Maine this morning, you know, it, it means nothing if you have not love. Huh? And so Paul is making a point, and it has to do with the chemistry of relationship, and it's this. When we are in relationship, it's more important than who we are in isolation. It defines us much more substantively because only in seasoned relationship is the nature of our love proven. So people hop around from church to church and go hither and yon or don't go to church at all because relational elements are just too, too wild for me. I can't, I can't deal with other people. Problem is, there's no medium to see your love proven to a lost world that, sees to, that, that needs to see the love of Jesus again and again and again, huh? It's that kind of thing. Okay, to continue, verse four. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, verse six. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And eight is a doozy. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, it has to do with love. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, or if we should say adult here, I, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's judgment right there. Wow. Verse 13. Here it is. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. It trumps every other gift, every other ambition we have for significance. If it trumps all that we do and all that we think, it's this great thing called love. Okay. It's really interesting, I reckon, that the popularity of this verse in, in, in weddings seems so idealistic to us. You kind of you have to, you kind of feel like you have to relegate it to hyperbole. I said exaggeration for the sake of effect to make sense of it. But I don't think Paul was writing for us to make sense of it so that we can grit our teeth and deal with those relationships that 
you know, keep us up at night or give us heartburn with our own human strength. See, that's not what love is about. The kind of love that we're talking about and that Paul's talking about here, we can't get from ourselves. We can't take courses. We can't therapeutize it into us. You know, although therapy is good, there's only one way that we can get it, right? And so Paul's talking about having love. How does one possess love in the Pauline sense here? He goes on to say that to love is to do it. It's not abstract, you know. But the doing of it doesn't mean that we possess it. If we do it, it's an indicator that we have it. As a matter of fact, our series on marriage and family and relationship is going to be called intent. What do we intend when we get into these relationships? Now, the only way that this love, Paul says, you've got to have it. It's the hierarchy of haves that we talked about. The only way you can have it is in concert with the God who is love itself. Wow. Over the years, I've heard Christians say things like, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. I don't love them anymore. And on and on the denial of love goes as if it's a right that we have to express. So realistically, it seems love can die, doesn't it? Huh? Seems as if love can die. But our problem is that Paul states that true biblical love never dies. There's a little little bit of problem if we believe the Bibles that we carry, you know. So there's only one way you can do this, and that's this. Love never dies naturally. It dies because we don't replenish its source, who is Jesus himself. Yeah, I want to say that again because it's like so real to me personally. You know, if I, st- if I stay away from worship, if I stay away from the sacraments, if I stay away from people who, you know, who, are, my, who are called to be my brothers and sisters, if I stay away from prayer, if I stay away from those kinds of things, love begins to naturally die because it can only be replenished supernaturally in relationship with God. Love never dies naturally. It dies because we don't replenish its source, who is Jesus himself. The quality of my love for my wife, my kids, my neighbors, for all of you, is a function of resourcing my love for Jesus in worship, fellowship, communion, prayer, mission. I mean, this is where this, you know, and then we, you know, we, we, we relegate, we relegate our, 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 our fellowship life and our church life, our prayer life, and all those things to kind of a compartmental box, apart from what's really important, you know, like soccer or, you know, do you know what I'm saying? And then we wonder why things are so amiss, not only in our lives, but in the church. Okay. There's another thing kind of going on here. Love, as it's defined here, can't be exclusive to me. If we resource Jesus for love, we got to give it away because it's that kind of love, you know. I can't hold this kind of love to myself, for myself. And one would even argue that even God can't harbor this love because it's against his nature, meaning he won't conserve it to himself. And so love is why there's a trinity because the Father loves the Son who loves the Spirit who loves the Father three in one. Huh? It's, it's, our, it's our doctrine. So if you got it, you got to share it. 
And you gotta be proactive in doing it. If it's not being given away sacrificially, it's not what's being talked about in our Bibles, you know. But that kind of love, but, but the, the kind of love that we hear when we hear 1 Corinthians 13 read at weddings or wherever it's read, goes something like this. Well, if I feel affection for you, then I'll be patient. If I feel affection for you, well, then I'll be kind. If I feel affection, affection for you, then, then I won't be jealous. If I feel affection for you, then I won't keep a, a record of wrongs. And when I hear 1 Corinthians 13 read in that sense and understand this is what people are hearing, you know, I think everybody's having a love affair with chapter 13 itself because it sounds so good, but we're relegating it to the impossible or the maybe. And so bring, bring, you know, bring in Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or Bo- Bogey and Bacall, right? Some of you younger people don't know who Bogey and Bacall is, but look it up. <laughs> Even the idioms in our language confuse this thing called love. We say, I fall into love. I have fallen into love. Think about that phrase for a second. And it's in lots of languages. I've fallen into love. It's something out there apart from me where I can lose my balance and fall into. It happens to me despite myself. And this, this, thing, this thing called romance. Now, before you think I'm saying that feelings and affection are unimportant, I know they're important. And I know romance is important. That's not what I'm saying. But if the depth of what we call love and, and anything to do with love is consequent to just that, it's so shallow. Because let me tell you, that kind of love, which is a eros love, you know, that kind of love comes and goes, baby, you know. You know, I will, you know, we stand at the, the altar and say, I will never leave you or forsake you, but man, when all the kids have chicken pox and you're going to fly to California for business, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I was talking to Tony and Tony and Carolyn. Welcome, you guys. It's good to have you guys here. Dr. Neri and his wife are Dick and Ann's daughter and son-in-law. They're taking care of Alyssa while Anne's recuperating. Keep praying for her. So I was saying, we were talking about going to Ljubljana and, and, and Slovenia, which is something you guys are giving to Trish and I to do this year. And so, so uh, we were talking about that. And I just said this. I, you know, I was offered, I was actually invited to do a PhD in, in church history at the University of Ljubljana in Slovenia about 20 years ago. I was invited to do that. I said, until Trish reminded me that that would be a great exercise in my own self-enrichment at the expense of my family. <laughs> Guess what love demanded? <laughs> I don't know, Grubby the Scholar. All right. Okay, if I can fall into love, I can fall out of love. Huh? And anything that I do consequent to that happening to me, any relationship broken, any hurt I cause, well, it's just unfortunate it's not really my fault because I've fallen out. I mean, that's what, where our culture, that's the, the directive of our culture regarding affection, love, and all those kinds. It's so different from the way we were bought by the blood and body of Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, another wedding thing. Shakespeare's Sonnet 116. I do this at weddings a lot too. Some of you probably had to recite it in high school. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. In other words, there is a constancy in biblical love which doesn't change when the quality of love we experience from another is less than the way that we love. All right? In other words, I'm loving somebody else with a quality of love that I believe is biblical, but I ain't getting it back. Right? And so I don't have to love anymore. That's not true. We love all the more. Huh? Matter of fact, ministry is pinioned on that. You know, how many times do we have to give ourselves to people who are absolutely bereft of any gratitude of what we're giving? That's Christianity. So we, we, there was this gal in the church, and, and she had a falling out with some people, and I, wouldn't, I did not take her side as a pastor in the falling out because she was so wrong anyway. And she, <laughs> anyway, she, she had a kid, and, and sweet kid, and they lived like not too far from me. This is years and years ago. No, nobody would know who I'm talking about. And so her house caught on fire. And so in the middle of the night, Trish and I had to get out and we took her in to our house and, you know, and we, we cared for her and so forth. And in the midst of that, you know, she still ripped at me and she looked at me as Trisha was bringing her in a meal and it was at night and it was cold and her firemen were leaving her house. She looked at me and she said to me, she said, you have no idea how much I despise you right now. <laughs> That's the deal. You know, it's just going to happen, right? That's what happened to Jesus everywhere, yeah? It's, it's, it's really, it's just fascinating, this quality of love that we're required to. So, whereas friendships and the intensity of human affection rise and ebb over the course of us having relationships with each other, uh, the kind of love that Paul is challenging the church with is a love not fueled by affection. I'm not saying that affection isn't important. I mean, I, I have a, a responsibility to maintain my affection for my wife, I have, for my kids, for my, well, my parents are gone now, but when they were here, them, you know, I have a responsibility to maintain my affection for y'all. You know, my affection for the leadership of this church. Because now I'm under the leadership. I am not in the leadership. Yeah? That's, that's a different kind of responsibility, huh? And so, it has a certain advantage to it, let me tell you. Anyway. <laughs> As a Christian, love is the medium for the value of everything else I do. I'm still on. That's love too. When you're on time, love verses one through three says love shapes our effectiveness. If you do something in God's love, there's an anointing on it that isn't on it otherwise. Yeah. Whether you're playing guitar or whether you're raking somebody else's grass. Okay. It isn't just important. You know, it's essential. Okay. You know what I was thinking of this week? Because Jack Hayford passed away. Yeah, some of you know who Jack Hayford is. He was a, a brilliant author. He wrote the song Majesty. He uh, was a songwriter, but he, he was a pastor of a church, a big church, Church of the Living Word in California. And, and he's Church on the Way, that was it, I'm sorry. And he started the King's Seminary. He was just a, I mean, this guy 
was a gold standard kind of guy. And I've heard him speak any number of times and just love poured out of him, you know. Even when he was admonishing. I mean, one, one time people in the church at large were overjoyed that the, that the earthquake hit California and declared that it was judgment because there were so many LGBTQ people in San Francisco and all these people died. Hayford took, not it wasn't his church, it was the church at large, but he had that kind of reach and he spanked the church at large. He spanked the church over that attitude, but he did it with love. He wept while he did it, you know. It was... It was fascinating. It was that kind of guy. Well, what, I'm think, what I was thinking about this week, so Billy Graham's gone, Jack Hayford's gone, Steve Wilbur's gone. There's just all these giants that have passed away in the last five years just because they were old and they wanted to go to heaven. So, <laughs> and, and so for you guys who are younger, there's a whole new responsibility. Yeah, there's a whole new generation of love that has to emerge or this... This church and every church on the planet is not going to go where God intends it to go. You know? All right. All right, I've got to fly through this. Whatever, whatever gifts or positive attributes that I carry can be emptied of any worth if I function loveless. Wow. I put a little note in here. When, when the, one of the things that brought me here to do graduate school was Hurricane Agnes hit the Wyoming Valley, whereas the Wyoming Valley, which is Wilkes-Barre and all those towns up there were kind of hanging off the Susquehanna River. Those towns were all flooded out, and, and I knew I had to go to graduate school, so I came down to do some graduate work at Lehigh. And, and when I came down, I had to go back up and empty my grandparents' house. My grandmother and grandfather lived two miles away from the Susquehanna River. They had a three-story home, and the, the water reached to the middle of the third story. Everything in the home was just trashed. I'll never forget the smell. Well, the smell has its, flood water has its own smell. And so the problem was there was typhus everywhere. You couldn't, you know, you had to bring water with you. But if you got yourself dirty and that got onto your sandwich or whatever you were doing. And in the middle of all that, I, I never knew what a Mennonite was. And the, all these Mennonite trucks came into town and they fed us. And I just thought, who are these people? Why are they doing this? They're not from around here. And, and, and it was really, something staggered me in their kindness because they came back every day. And I thought, I, I haven't seen love like this, you know. And I took note of it because it was Christ. I saw Christ. It was that kind of thing. All right, lastly, love does not abide with iniquity, but it does function in the midst of iniquity. And that's not last. I lied to you. It bears all things. It covers all things. Lastly, <laughs> my own godly joy is not achievable apart from my personal involvement with the well-being of others, right? If, I, if, if, if I'm the center of my well-being, my significance is all messed up, yeah? Okay, I, wa- I want to pray for us because this is a, I, I just think this reaches everybody, because I know the proclivity of the human heart to center itself on itself. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we're going into this series in three weeks, a Lenten series on relationships and family and, 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 and marriage and, and the way we love. 
And I think God wants to do something really wonderful at this church. You know, we say, you know, people, people were saying, well, I heard Mike's message, but practically what can I do about my, my family? And there are real practical things like Bob was talking about this morning in terms of prayer. But one of the most practical things you do is become selfless, self-denying, and loving, even when you have family members who are, who are a wreck. You know? <laughs> but is that only me? You know? Did you ever see that commercial on uh, PBS? It's on all the time because I love to watch Antique Roadshow. How bad is that, huh? How old am I, right? So, so, so you watch Antique Roadshow, and the, the, one of the sponsors is, what is it? It's not 23andMe, it's what? Ancestry. Ancestry.com, that's the one. You know, where they, like, they, they trace your ancestry, and, and the lady says, I want my kids to know they come from courage, and they come from risk takers and wonderful people. And I, I know my family background pretty far back, and I thought, I don't want my, I want my kids to know they come from some real jerks there too. You know, seriously. I mean, there's all kinds of ancestral stuff that's got to be bound, you know. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we were up home and I saw these people who were really shady people. And I said to Trish, you see them? That's why I don't do Ancestry.com, you know. I, <laughs> so... That's so bad. <laughs> I'm going to get scolded for that. Okay, Lord, can we pray for us? So this is my first New Year's service here, and I'm looking forward to this year. I'm looking forward to this series. I'm looking forward to the 10-year thing. I'm looking forward to honoring Andrea and Ashish. It's, I'm, 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 I'm pumped. Lord Jesus, we thank you for one another. Lord we thank you for the lost who are out there who need you. But we realize that the quality of our love for one another, the real gritty quality of the way we love, will define how effective we are in reaching a lost world for you. So we pray, God, for, for one another. We pray for our church, both campuses. Pray for Pastor Ian and Selena. Lord, for... for what they're going to map out for us. Um, Lord, we pray for marriages. Oh, Lord. We pray for the whole gamut of forgiveness that seems to have left the church. The capacity to really forgive as you forgave and require us to forgive. We pray, Lord, for the churches in our network, for the churches in the Lehigh Valley, we, because we know that if there is not a revival of love, there could be no revival. There should be no revival because in love you came and in love we labor in Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. Amen. And amen and amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.